Psalm 89. And because, if you're looking at it, and it looks a little lengthy, we're actually going to be taking chunks of it. So I'm going to read, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit. I'm going to read the first eight verses, then I'm going to jump to verse 19, and then jump to verse 38. So kind of, I'll, I'll give, you, give you some heads up. But reading two-thirds of the psalm this morning. Psalm 89. Listen for the voice of God. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said that I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with our Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, Lord. Your faithfulness surrounds you. Verse 19. Once you spoke in a vision. To your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant. And with my sacred oil, I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. No enemy will subject him to tribute. No wicked man will oppress him and strike down. I will crush his foes before him. Strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him. And through my name, his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers, he will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever. My covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. Verse 38. But you have rejected. You have spurned and you have been angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by him have plundered him. He's become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. 
You have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth and you covered him with a mantle of shame. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life, for what futility you have created all men. What man can live and not see death, or save himself from the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts with which your enemies have mocked, Lord, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Did it sound a teeny bit different than what we've experienced so far? Teensy bit more accusatory? Fun. Lauren Winner is a writer, a professor, at Duke Divinity School in the States. And Lauren became something of a critical darling in North American Christian circles when she published her first book about a decade ago. It was a memoir called Girl Meets God. Has anyone read Girl Meets God? Ah, here we go. Okay, Pastor Bernie. Pastor Bernie has read Girl Meets God. <laughs> Me and you, Bernie. In that book, Lauren Winner tells about her journey growing up in a Jewish home. She loved Shabbat. She loved synagogue, Hanukkah, the menorah. She loved all those things, and then she met Jesus. And her life was turned upside down. The entire trajectory of her future was rewritten. All because her imagination, her life, her mind, her soul, all of it was captured by Jesus Christ. And she became a woman who loved church and the gospels, who loved the nativity and the sacraments. And, and the story that she tells in Girl Meets God it's captivating. The story of her conversion is thrilling. It's inspiring. Her, her faith and her curiosity are, are contagious. And at some points, her, her joy is actually a little bit overwhelming. And her certainty throughout this book is unshakable. And then about a decade later, Lauren Winner wrote a different kind of book. A book that, in her own words, is about the time when the things you thought you knew about the spiritual life turn out not to suffice for the life you are actually living. The times when the things you thought you knew about the spiritual life turn out not to suffice for the
the life you are actually living. This book came out shortly after her mother's death, after her marriage failed, and all of that happened in the midst of her broken and breaking relationship with God. The same God that she loved so much not so long ago. Lauren rose to fame with a book about her conversion to God, her love of God, her deep and transformative relationship with God. And this time around, she was honestly admitting that she had more questions than answers. That God felt more absent than present. And that she didn't really know God that well anymore. She wasn't particularly sure she wanted to. Lauren described the season in her life that gave rise to this book as a story from the middle. A story from the middle. We are used to stories about beginnings. We like stories about beginnings. The joy of conversion, the excitement of new relationships. We know what to do with beginnings. It's full of hope and joy and expectations and opportunities, and the future is wide open. We know what to do with beginnings. We also know what to do with endings. The happily ever afters. The closing credits with the end in white letters against a black background. We know what to do with endings. Closure, conclusion, laughter or tears, depending on the kind of ending. But we know what to do with endings. We know what to do with beginnings. We don't necessarily know what to do with stories from the middle of things. Because the middle of things doesn't have resolution. The, the middle of things lacks certainty. The, the middle of things is more messy and confusing than clear and orderly. The middle of things is made up of questions, not necessarily answers. Psalm 89, our song for this morning, our final psalm of this series, is a song from the middle of things. Psalm 89 is a song of God's people firmly in the unresolved middle of faith, of their relationship with God. Everything they thought they knew about God, about themselves, about their future, is tossed up into the air. Everything they thought they knew about God, about themselves, about their future, as they look around, doesn't suffice for the way things actually are for them. Psalm 89 is a song from the middle. And it's a long psalm, which is why we took snippets of it. But we got a taste of the bulk of Psalm 89, which consists of two very conflicting parts. The first part of the psalm, it's the majority of the psalm, actually, 
as you heard, it, it's praise and trust. It, it sounds like every other praise psalm that we have read or come across. Praising God for his power, for his might, for his faithfulness, for his unfailing love, for all how he rules over all things with justice and righteousness, how no one can compare to him. Sounds like every psalm of praise we've heard before. And the psalm throughout that major section repeats the core promise of Israel three times. The promise of God to his people about David, his throne, and his presence with his people. Three times we hear, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever. I will make your throne firm through all generations. Three times the psalmist repeats this promise. Verse 4, verse 28, verse 36. Always God's voice speaking, his covenant promises to his people. Based on his faithfulness, his unfailing love, his might, and who God is. For the psalmist, this promise to David, to God's people, it's, it's the core of who he is. The core of who Israel is, was, and will be. The throne of David is a reflection of God's presence, not only with Israel, but with all the earth. Of their favor as God's people, protected, safe, held by God's covenant promises. Now, with this promise, everything they knew about God, about themselves, about their future, it's secure, certain, expected, safe. And then, as we heard, the tone changes. And the psalm takes an unexpected turn. The words of praise and trust are dropped. The affirmation of God's faithfulness dropped. And dropped also is the kind of God that they knew and trusted. And the psalmist turns to accusation. Throwing God's words of promise right back in his face. Oh yeah, establish your throne forever, for all generations, because of your great love and faithfulness. But you, you have rejected, you have spurned, and you have been angry with this one you promised to hold forever. You have renounced the covenant that you promised with your own words, and you have thrown that crown into the dust. You have done this. You, you have broken your promises. Psalmist is in the middle of things. The psalmist has always known God to be faithful, has always known God to be loving, has always known God to be a God who keeps his promises. But then the psalmist looks around at the way things are, and what he sees looks more like broken promises. 
It looks far more like divine failure than anything earlier in the psalm. So how can this be? How can this be? How does the psalmist reconcile these two conflicting pieces of his song? The psalm begins with trust praise in verse 1. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. And then the psalm ends with turning that into a question of bewilderment and confusion. Where is your former great love? Which in your faithfulness you swore to David. Where is your unfailing love? Psalm ends in the middle of a faith crisis where nothing is certain and God doesn't appear to be the God that they have always known. The psalm ends with a question from the middle of things. When explaining why Lauren Winter felt the need to write the book, she did. Her story from the middle. She wrote that she shared her story from the middle because intuition and conversation persuade me that most of us arrive at a spiritual middle. Probably we arrive at many middles. And there are many ways to get there. Sometimes it's not about a conversion giving way like it was for her or the shock of God's absence. Sometimes a life of wandering takes you to a middle. Sometimes you come to the middle quietly where your spiritual life seems to have faded like fabric. Lauren wrote her story from the middle because her intuition led her to believe that we all, at some point in our faith lives, end up in the middle. And I think she's right. I think she's deeply, deeply right. We all arrive at a middle at some point in our spiritual lives. Probably more than once over the course of our lives and our relationship with God. It's just that we don't talk about it very well, very easily. We don't list our experience of the middle, our uncertainty and our questions, our difficulties. We don't really add those to the congregational prayer list to share with everyone. Sometimes being in the middle, we don't even admit it to ourselves. Because it's in the middle of things that people drift away from God, from prayer, from church. We fade away. 
we walk away. Sometimes for a season, like Lauren, sometimes just for a moment, and sometimes for what looks like good. We find ourselves in the middle when the ground falls away under our feet. When a relationship dissolves around us, when we lose someone we love, when life looks more like broken promises and failure than anything else we had hoped for or expected. We find ourselves in the middle when we wake up one day and realize that God doesn't feel alive to us in the same way he once did. We wake up to realize that we don't remember what it felt like to be close to God. What it felt like to pray. What it felt like to even try. Reading Psalm 89 in Advent, like we are this morning. Reading Psalm 89 on the brink of our Christmas celebration reminds us that the answer to the psalmist's questions, to the psalmist's accusations, comes much, much, much later in the story. It's a long, long middle. The answer comes when an angel appears to a young teenage girl. An angel sharing with her the gospel news that God has kept his promises. That God has broken his silence with his people. That God has answered his people's prayers. That God will indeed restore the line of David like he promised. The throne of the king. His line for generations forever to come. Just not in the way that Psalm 89 expected. Or wanted. Or needed. Sometimes God's faithfulness looks less like triumph and power, thrones and mighty kings, and it looks more like vulnerability and powerlessness. Screaming newborns and worried, anxious, unwed teenage mothers. Sometimes, most of the time, God's faithfulness does not look like what we expect. It doesn't show up when we expect. When we are in the middle, when we have arrived at one of perhaps many middles in our lives, in our faith, in our relationship with God, when we find ourselves wondering if God has left us or broken his promises or simply forgotten about us, we remember God's answer to the prayers of Psalm 89. An answer of flesh and blood, of love and forgiveness, of vulnerability and sacrifice. We remember that unexpectedly, painfully, graciously, God answered the questions, the prayers, and the fears of his people, not with not with arguments and reasons, excuses and explanations, but with himself. With his only and beloved son. 
people of God in the middle of our lives, in the hard parts, in the lonely seasons, in the difficulty, in the questions, in the uncertainty of future, God shows up. God shows up giving himself to us, to you, to me. Unexpectedly, unlooked for, overturning any and all of our expectations and hopes and needs, answering our fears, our prayers with his presence, with his love, with his forgiveness. With vulnerability in a manger, with sacrifice on a cross, God shows up. For those of you in the middle right now, for those of you gathered here this morning in the midst of a weekend of Christmas celebration and carols and joy, for those of you who are more familiar with the questions of Psalm 89 than you are with the affirmation of Luke 2, hang in there. May your journey through your questions and your fears, through your wandering and your fitful prayers, lead you to a place where God unexpectedly seems more real than you ever knew, more surprising and challenging than you've ever known, and more trustworthy than you have ever imagined. As you live in the middle of things right now, may the Spirit guide you to a safe place where you can hear God's voice, where you can sense his presence. And until he does, may God's people love you, pray for you, and support you when you cannot love and pray and support yourself. May you know God's love through his people. May you be held by God's people. And for all of us this morning, as we leave Advent, as we walk out of the darkness anticipating the light of Christmas, remember and trust the lengths that our God will go to to keep his promises, however unexpectedly it looks like to us. May we all grow in trusting and praising our God who is our Emmanuel, our God with us, our God with us in the beginning, our God with us in the middle, our God with us in the end. Thanks be to God. Amen.